Right now, we're going to read from the Bible and from Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to grab a Bible, I'm going to grab one just from here. And we're going to open up to Matthew 6 that Jacob is going to be speaking from. We are in the Sermon on the Mount as a church. And this is a section where Jesus is teaching his disciples what it will look like to follow him. And we start in sentence 26 on the passage titled, Do Not Be Anxious. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of God. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. Now, for the one of you that's not familiar with the tragedy masquerading as a children's movie, The Lion King, this is some advice given at a crucial point in the movie. Simba, who's a child, remember, has just witnessed his uncle kill his father. He's then been psychologically tormented into feeling the weight of responsibility for his own father's death. He's out in the wild being pursued by hyenas that want to kill him and eat him. He's miles away from his family, his mum, his girlfriend, and he's starving. And he comes across a pig and a meerkat who offer some life-changing advice. Just don't worry about it. Hakuna Matata. And somehow this makes everything better. On that simple bit of advice, he overcomes his grief pretty much immediately, forgets his family, grows up big and strong, eating nothing but grubs and ants, and is able to go back, save the day, get rid of his uncle, take the throne. Now, you might say that's a bit of a cynical way to view a cartoon children's movie, and you would be right, it is. But isn't it the case that giving the advice, do not worry, is easier said than done? Not worrying is not easy. Life is full of worries. Each of us, I think, even just in the best of times, have got a whole list of stuff that we probably find ourselves worrying about on a daily or a weekly basis. Uh, but this year in particular, this week in particular, um, there is a lot to worry about. For a lot of us, this lockdown has all kinds of implications. A lot of us don't know what this is going to mean for work in the next few weeks or months. There are events, holidays have been cancelled, things are coming up, birthdays might not go ahead. There are things to worry about this week. In the, even in the life of our church, this might be a cause of worry. We were just getting some really good momentum as a church again, enjoying our time together down at the high school. And now we're back online. 
I'm not a YouTube personality, and so giving a talk to an empty room and a camera is not my happy place. And so when Jesus comes along in the passage that we've just had read to us and says, not once, but three times, do not worry, what are we to make of that? Is it the case that this is just kind of empty sentiment and fluff, just trying to put on an optimistic view of the world, kind of like a Hakuna Matata mindset? Or is Jesus' instruction not to worry worry, really backed up by something? What we're going to see today as we unpack this, I think, amazing words of Jesus, we're going, to be, we're going to see that there is a reality that actually gives those who believe it a cause not to worry. In terms of where this passage fits, in terms of the, the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been in, we've taken the Sermon of the Mount a little bit out of order. If you remember a few weeks back when we were still actually meeting together in this building, we launched a kind of uh, a fundraising for our time down at the high school. And we looked at the passage in which Jesus said, do not treasure money more than God. He says, make God your God and don't make money your God. And even though we looked at it a few weeks ago, that's what happens immediately before this passage in the Sermon of the Mount. So Jesus had just said the words, you cannot serve God and money, when he then says, as we've just had read, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear which I think is really to anticipate the question that someone might have in response to what Jesus has just taught. You might say, well, I like the idea of not making money the center of my life. I don't want to be a slave to money. But what if by serving God and not money, by not pursuing money as the most important thing, I end up in a situation where I can't afford to feed myself or clothe myself? Or at the very least, what if I end up in a situation where I can't afford the food that I really want or the clothing that makes me look good and respectable or desirable? This is the heart of anxiety, isn't it? It's the what if. What if something unexpected happens and I'm not prepared for it? What if I buy a house and then the market crashes? What if I don't buy a house and then the market skyrockets? What if I get a COVID vaccine and then I get an unwanted side effect? What if I can't get a vaccine fast enough and then I get COVID? What Jesus is doing in this passage is anticipating a question that I think all of his followers face at some point. What if I follow Jesus, but it doesn't work out? What if following Jesus at the expense of making myself the most important thing means I end up in a situation where even my most basic material needs aren't met? So Jesus is continuing his teaching on this topic of money by speaking into the reality that he understands that we are people who are prone to anxiety and to worry. And what Jesus is going to show today is that not only does following him not mean entering into a life of worry and anxiety, but on the contrary, understanding who God is and how he views us means that more than anyone, followers of Jesus have a reason to be free of worry to be able to go through life with a certain carefreeness. He's going to be encouraging us not to to fill our thought life by churning over the questions of what if, what if, what if, but to rest in him. And the way that Jesus is going to do that is by giving us six reasons not to worry. These six realities that we need to remind ourselves of in the face of worry and anxiety. Now, I want to make it really clear up front that I'm going to be using worry and anxiety a little bit interchangeably, but I just want to be clear that I'm not talking about, I guess, clinical anxiety. What Jesus is addressing here is this kind of baseline, 
common to all people, this level of worry that we face every day. But we, we know that in our church, we've got people who at, at times experience anxiety, which is probably a level beyond that, where it's really constant or disruptive to life. And I've had times in my life where I've actually found in, in, in moments of quite significant anxiety where, where talking to someone's been really helpful, even taking medication's been really helpful. And so we just want to say up front that even though I, I guess I believe that Every, any person who takes Jesus' words to heart will be a less anxious person. That as leadership of this church, we want to encourage you that if even in these next few weeks, you're finding, I guess, a bit more, a bit more anxiety than is, than is dealable in your life. We're really fortunate to have Anna on staff who's got a counseling background and we as leadership would love to get you in touch with, I guess, professionals who can help you with that as well. So I just wanted to make that really clear up front. But what we are going to be getting into is, I guess, some teachings that if we really believe this, if we really put this into practice, it gives us a reason to not worry. And so as we look at these six reasons, we're going to be kind of just letting these realities, I guess, wash over us like a river. Um, at some points, it might even feel like getting sprayed with a fire hose of reality as Jesus drops some truth bombs in here. But I want to encourage you right now as you're online, whether you're live with us right now or whether you're watching this later today because this morning your kids were going crazy or whether you're on the podcast, just to get ready just for the next 25 minutes to be, to be ready just to encounter Jesus. One of the good things about live stream is you can actually hit the pause button. Even on the live stream you can hit pause if you need to go get a Bible. You might want to get a notepad. You might want to have a cup of tea so you can just be still. I want to encourage you to get rid of any other distractions, any other windows open on your computer. I'm aware that I'm competing with Gladys, making an announcement probably right now. So it'll still be there in like half an hour. Just hold off on it and just set aside this time to listen to the words of Jesus, to apply them to your mind and to your heart and to be calmed uh, by what he says. So when you're ready, we're going to get into it. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to look at six reasons that Jesus says not to worry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that even though we are in a lockdown, uh, that we have time, that we've got time at this, at this moment to be with you, that we've got space in our week to sit under your word, that you're a God whose words are timeless. They don't only work or make sense when things are easy, but actually often they make more sense when times are hard. And we just pray that your words to us today would form us, would... Uh, would inform our thinking and actually change and transform our hearts to be a people of faith who trust you. Amen. So looking at six reasons not to worry. Reason one, you've been given the gift of life. Jesus' first reason not to worry is in the very first verse there where he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? What he's saying is, before you get ahead of yourself and worry about all the uncertainties in the future, think about what you already have. He's not saying there's more to life than food, but what he's saying is life itself is greater than anything else that comes after it. He's saying you have a life. And is that not an amazing reality that we don't think about that often? You exist as a living being. And not only do you exist, um, but you exist with an existence that means more than just being a machine made of meat. You're not just an engine in need of nourishment. You're a life and you are a soul. You are a, a reflection of God. And this life that we have, we did, do, we did nothing to gain. It was given to us. 
You've been given this thing called a life and you exist by no effort of your own. And you find just your existence being linked to a body that is more impressive than any clothes. Think about what your body can do. With it, you can work, you can worship, you can play, you can love. And it is a gift. It is more amazing, more incredible than any clothing or any other material thing we could get. Jesus just opens this section by saying, just take note of that. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes, and you have both. God has given them to you. So before you worry about secondary things, things that you may or may not have in the future, reflect on what you are. You are an embodied soul with a life that is given to you by the Creator. And the logic follows that if God can freely give you a life, which is incredible and beyond our understanding, can he not also provide you with the basic needs that you have to sustain that life and to, to clothe and protect that body? You've been given the gift of life. That's Jesus' first reason. Second reason, you are precious to God. The second reason not to worry about material things is this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is saying, look around at the birds. Just right now, in your home, I want you to picture a bird. I don't know what bird you're picturing. Maybe it's like a nice little sparrow fluttering around in, in, the, in the branches. Maybe you're picturing an ibis. If, if, if ibis is the first thing that came to mind, you need to go see someone. Um, that's a reflection of something really dark inside. But an ibis works for the illustration. I thought of an ibis. I don't know what was making me think of ibis this week. They're, they're, they're strange things. They live in palm trees. Um, they belong in an estuary, but they choose to hang out in dumpsters. They're literally the grossest animal around. But even the ibis can exist without anxiety. I actually don't know that. I'm not a bird psychologist. Maybe you are a bird psychologist and you're going to correct that. But at the very least, they don't have barns. That's Jesus' point. Birds don't need barns. They live day by day. And they're sustained by God. And God has made the world in such a way that birds can just get on with it and live. And the point here is, you are worth way more than any bird. And so if birds can afford to go through life not worrying constantly about where things are going to come from and just to, in a sense, just get on with life, how much more can we? Because we have a God who values us highly, who loves us, who cares for us. Likewise, Jesus says in verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? If God provides for transient, short-lived plants, how much more for eternal beings? If God has made more beauty in nature than could ever be rep replicated by an artist or a fashion designer, if humans are the pinnacle of creation, shouldn't that just give us grounds to free ourselves to trust in God to look after us? That's Jesus' second point. The third reason not to worry Jesus says is that you aren't God and you're not in control. Verse 27, slotted between those, the birds and the lilies, Jesus gives a third reason not to worry. He says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? 
just a bit of logic is just kind of mushed in the middle there, which is simply this. What is your worrying going to achieve? So often we find ourselves worrying because we feel powerless and out of control. And by worrying and turning over these thoughts in our head and stressing, we can actually feel like we're doing something about it. Like that somehow this is achieving something, this is, uh, is fixing the problem. But Jesus is saying, is your worrying actually doing anything? Think about your life. Can you, you worry your way into living longer? Now, the worry warts out there might say, well, yes, you can. If you avoid transportation and sugary, fatty foods, alcohol, other humans who might carry disease, plane travel, the sun, the ocean, and so you live your lives basically in a room or on a shaded island with a treadmill and Brussels sprouts and water, then maybe you can get a longer life expectancy. I think most people argue that would even be taking away from your life. At the end of the day, we don't have control over the length of our life. It's a bit like being on a plane. I've, de- I've developed over the last few years a fear of flying. I don't know how I've given myself a fear of flying, because I didn't used to be. I think watching YouTube videos of engines catching on fire uh, probably didn't help. But there's a reality that when you're on a plane, worrying is about as pointless as it can be. From the moment the aeroplane kind of starts accelerating up the runway to the moment it is stopped still on the ground again, you are out of control. It is out of your hands. You have to fully distrust the... The, the plane, the mechanics, and the pilots. And you can choose to worry and to think about it the whole, the whole flight, what's going to happen, or you can choose to watch a movie, but the outcome is going to be the same. I think Jesus is trying to say that, that being on earth is a bit like being on a plane. We're not really in control. We create all kinds of illusions for ourselves to feel like we are in control, but Jesus is reminding us with not necessarily a nice feeling reminder that you don't have much more say in the length of your life than you do over the fact that you're alive at all. I I can't possibly know whether I will live to be 31 or 55 or 72 or 98. And neither do you. And maybe that makes you feel more worried to think about that, and I'm sorry, but that's Jesus' words, not mine. But his point is simple. You're not in control of your life. Worrying doesn't give you control of your life, no matter how much you worry. But there is one who is in control of your life. There is one who can determine the length of your days. And that's God. That he is the one that our trust should be in, not in our own worries. That's Jesus' third reason. You aren't God and you're not in control. We're halfway. Number four, you aren't alone in the world. Jesus says in verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. For the second time, Jesus repeats the command not to not worry. And this time his reason is one of the distinction between two different worldviews. He explains that that pagans, which is another word just for those who don't know God, it's not a condescending term, it's just this catch-all term for those who don't worship the God of Israel. And he says, Given what we've already heard about God being the giver of life, the one who values us, the one who provides for us, the one who is in control, what might be reasonable for those who don't believe in this God makes no sense for those who do. So this is the case in our culture today. The the mix of worldviews and influences that make up the predominant worldview of our culture gives plenty of reasons to worry. 
the bulk of Sydney ciders are materialists. So some would describe themselves as atheists, but I think most would describe themselves somewhere as agnostics. But most people share a fundamental belief that our existence is, is purely material. It's just the physical. All things are the result of physical forces. And that means that our existence is, is kind of chaos, that all things occur because of really a giant cosmic accident, everything from the beginning of the universe to the formation of our galaxy, solar system, and planet to the occurrence of life on our planet and, and the way that that has led to us being alive today. All that is random. All that is an accident. There is no great plan or intention behind it. Um, and that any spirituality that, that is out there is really more of an experiential thing, more so than an actual, I guess, grand driving narrative that, that underlies all of existence. And if that's what you believe, then I guess, yeah, you, you probably better well try as much as you can to protect yourself from this harsh universe that spat you out by accident and will just as soon break you down into atoms and, and discard you across the cosmos. That's, that's the worldview that, that people believe. So it makes sense to, to try to preserve yourself as long as you can. And you better have your own back if there's no greater being that has your back. It makes sense to pursue pleasure and happiness above all. Because what else is there other than to get happiness and to get stuff? Now, in practice, Christians can sometimes live and feel like this is the case, can't we? Even though we, we follow Jesus, we can live in this sort of way. Like we've got to look out for ourselves because that's all that matters. We've got to get material things, happiness, pleasure while we can. But Jesus says, no, that makes sense for those who don't know the God of the Bible. But as a follower of Jesus, you have a heavenly Father who knows what you need. That is a life-changing reality. To not be alone in this big, dark universe to have a heavenly father, the one who made the universe and who made you, the one who breathed you into a conscious, thinking, living being, who made the, the world of birds and the world of lilies to know what you need. That is a source of rest that comes with the Christian faith. Jesus is saying because of that, his followers are to be different. They can be a non-anxious presence in this world because we don't fear a harsh, impersonal universe, but we trust our lives in the hands of a loving Father. That's number four, you're not alone. The fifth reason not to worry from Jesus' teaching here is that you have a calling to pursue. He says in verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus' logic here isn't to say, well, rather than spending your time worrying about all the things of life, just do nothing. Now, what he says is there's actually something greater to give yourself to, to give your life, to give your body, to give your thought life to. And he breaks it up. Firstly, he says the kingdom. What does it mean to seek the kingdom? It's to live as a citizen of heaven under King Jesus now here on earth. It's spreading the news of salvation. It's spreading the, the reality of the gospel that Jesus came into this world to die for people who are far from him. It's inviting people into this life. It's inviting people to, to know this God who loves them and cares for them. It's to bring people into his family, the church. It's to promote peace, promote peace and non-retaliation and justice in a world of war and, and, and division. It's to give to the poor. 
It's to, it's to create and contribute to workplaces that do good and actually contribute to human flourishing. It's to participate and form marriages and families and friendships and communities that are selfless and reflect God's heart towards people. It's being an agent of peace and forgiveness in a broken world. Jesus is saying, go after that. Don't, go, don't just spend time worrying about whether you're provided for. Go with everything you have. Pursue this kingdom. Be this person. Make the world how it's meant to be. That's, that is more deserving of your time than, than just worries. And the reality is you don't have, you don't have time and headspace to give yourself fully to that if you're just worrying about what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, how you're going to be provided for. And secondly, he says not just seeking God's kingdom, but seeking his righteousness. Actually being someone who, who imitates and, and walks through life in the way of Jesus. Cultivating being a person who is generous, humble, hungry for the Spirit of God, peaceful, sad at what makes God sad, happy at what makes God happy, forgiving, and genuinely worshipful. Jesus laid this out in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, being someone with a genuine relationship with God. He says, pursue that. Pursue your relationship with God. And until that's kind of how you would describe yourself, that's some work to do. And it's a life work. You can't kind of knock this out in a year. And Jesus says, if you pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, your other needs will be provided for you. And what he means by that is that God will provide you with whatever you need to do his will and be made more like him. That's the promise. And sometimes his will and his, his kingdom and his righteousness will be hard. Sometimes following Jesus will be costly. Sometimes being made more like him will involve hardship and suffering. Don't misread this as a promise of an easy life, but it is a promise that he will provide you with what you need to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. Do you believe that truth? That provision might be, and I think most often is, in the form of when you follow Jesus and live in a way that you're meant to, that kind of moves with the grain of creation, you will find yourself provided for. If you seek God's kingdom by being a person who works hard, is good to those around you, who is honest, generous, and humble, then more often than not, you will find yourself as someone that others want to employ, and they'll pay you, and you'll be able to eat and dress yourself. But also, there are countless stories that, that maybe many of you have heard, of, particularly from people who have really, in a radical sense, left all to follow Jesus. Often it's missionaries who have taken the gospel to other parts of the world, where God has provided for them financially and materially in, in ways that are just hard to believe, if you didn't trust the people that were telling them to you. That God is a God who works miracles. That God is the God who can provide in any and all circumstances if he wants to. So in that God, we are free to seek his kingdom and righteousness above all else. That was reason number five. Reason number six. The last thing that Jesus lays out is in verse 34, which is that God will help you through one day at a time. Verse 34 says, Therefore, do not worry. It's the third time he said, do not worry. He says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I'm not an optimist. I'm somewhere between a pessimist and a realist, so I'm, I'm very happy with how Jesus is ending this, setting, this, this section here. He doesn't end by saying, Go on, get out there, and every day will be easy. He says, every day is going to have some trouble. 
Every day is going to have some hard things to face. Some days they'll be kind of small hard things. Other days they'll be really big hard things. But the way that God has made us is to take one day at a time. And I think often we can overwhelm ourselves by kind of looking at it the next week or the next month or the next year and kind of listing up all the, all the individual challenges, all the, the, the problems that might come our way, all the things we're going to have to face, all the things we're going to have to do. And to view them all in one moment can be overwhelming because we're not designed to kind of tackle a year of problems in one day. But the reality is that God gives us the strength to get through each day as it comes. How many times have you kind of looked forward and thought, how am I going to get through this? I mean, how many of you thought that last year with, with lockdown last time? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this month or this year? Only in hindsight to say, well, we did get through it. God did get us through that moment. How many times have you ruined a day stressing about something coming up to only realize that the day spent stressing was worse than the thing itself? Jesus is saying, take each day as it comes. We looked at the Lord's Prayer a couple of weeks ago in which we're told to pray just every day, just give us today our daily bread. That God wants us every day to depend on him because he loves to provide for us. Now this isn't the same as saying don't think about the future. It's not saying don't save or don't make wise decisions. It's not saying get an afterpay account and just go and buy everything you want today and then suffer for the rest of the year. He's simply saying don't double your problems by worrying today and to trust To trust that today, God will get you through today. Tomorrow, he'll get you through tomorrow. Next week, he'll get you through next week. And to rest in that, to depend on him. Now, I don't know how how you feel as as you reflect on those six reasons not to worry. There's obviously a lot more that could be said on them. But in the time I've been working on this talk from... I started on Tuesday till now. A whole lot's changed. But I think more than, more than ever, I guess we've got an opportunity to put this into practice, to not worry, to have something right before us as an opportunity to grow as a church, as a people of faith. Faith isn't just kind of idly hoping for the best. It's not closing your eyes to reality. Faith is the act of drawing to mind again and again what you can't always see in the moment. It's speaking to yourself truths and realities that we're prone to forget. And if this next few weeks is anything like last year, for some of us it's going to be a really stressful time. For some of us it's going to actually not be a time in which we thrive in our relationship with God. In the stress and in the worry, we might be more prone to to watch a heap of Netflix, to drink more, to smoke more, um, to numb ourselves in other ways. But I want to encourage us as a church over these next few weeks to be a people who draw to mind the reality that we have. That God is a God who made us, who loves us, who cares for us, who has a plan for us, who is with us every single day. And to fight to be a people of faith, to to fight to be a people who are restful and joyful in Him. So I want to encourage you over the next few weeks, and today, I want to encourage you today, to make a plan for the next two weeks of lockdown as to how it is that you are going to fight to have faith. How are you going to fight to trust God in the midst of this time? To actually make a plan as to what you're going to read. Maybe it's to read back over the Sermon of the Mount we've been in for a few weeks now. It's read a bit of the Sermon of the Mount every day over, over this lockdown. Maybe it's to pick up a book that you've been meaning to read on, on, on Jesus or something that's on your shelf that you haven't got to. Maybe it's to, to look elsewhere for resources. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be dropping resources on our Facebook group. Um, But I'd encourage you as well, even in your your small groups, in your WhatsApp groups, in whatever you've got, 
to be sharing these truths with one, with one another. Share with one another what you've been reading. Spur one another on to trust God because we have a God who is worthy of our trust. We have a Father who loves us and who is with us and who will see us through this. I'm going to pray in light of this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for these truths that sometimes they're not even necessarily that easy to hear, but we need to hear them. We pray that we would be a people who are able to to draw to mind who you are and what you've done, who would be able to actually reflect on these things throughout this week, that we would also be a people who are able to uh, be a a light and be a a source of peace for those around us, our neighbours, our family, our friends who might be struggling in this time. And we pray that this time would actually build us and grow us as a church. We would be a people who look to you We don't look to our circumstances, but who trust that you would just make us a trustful people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.